The non-Jewish world respects us tremendously when we are strong in our convictions around our commitment to Torah and to Judaism, as we'll learn from an interesting story in the Gemara, which actually relates to the law that we're not supposed to eat food that is produced, cooked solely by non-Jewish people. We're not even supposed to use the utensils in which those, fo- th- those foods were cooked. And that's going to be something we learned from this week's parasha. But again, Misa from Bishulay Nochlin, the prohibition against eating food that has been cooked by a non-Jewish person. Basmelentab the Gemara and learns it, but there from the support of, although it's not a direct um, it's a prohibition in the Torah. For Pasuk, from the Pasuk where Moshe proposed to Sichon that they should have safe passage through his land, he said, That I'll buy food and I'll buy water from you. Says the Gemara, we learn from this. From here we learn that just like water is something you could drink without having to boil it first, so any food which you could eat raw without having to cook it, you don't have to worry if it is cooked by a non-Jewish person. So, in that halacha is the Apluktu Tzvishim Poiskim. There are two views according to the halachic authorities. If I have vessels, utensils, containers that were used to cook food, used by a non-Jewish person to cook food, and therefore obviously has absorbed some of that food into the actual vessel. So if it was tray food, we know the vessel would be considered tray. Is it the same if the food was kosher food, just cooked by a non-Jewish person? That's the debate. One version, one view and opinion is seeing as the only reason we're not supposed to eat food cooked by a non-Jewish person is to put one more barrier between Jews intermarrying, because eating and socializing together brings people to the point where they may become friendly and even marry. So if that is our concern, we are not worried that if there was some stored flavor of the food inside the vessel, and it's now going to re-enter the food that's ne- put next into the vessel. That's not something that's going to bring people together and create intermarriage. So we shouldn't worry about it. That's one view. However, we're going to go with the majority view, which is, the vast majority of opinions hold that if something was cooked, kosher food was cooked by a non-Jewish person in a container, that container is now considered non-kosher. Why? Because the moment that the sages declare something to be non-kosher, even what is later the flavor, the residual flavor that emerges from that food into a new food would also be considered non-kosher. We could say that this is actually similar to another halacha, (coughs) completely unrelated, but shares a similar principle. If you have planks of wood, which are too wide to be kosher for schach of a sukkah, even if you took those slats, and you turn them this way, so they're now sitting vertically, and they're not too wide halachically to be a problem for schach, still Zayin and Apostle, they would still be disqualified as schach, because once a particular product has been classified as being unsuitable for schach, it doesn't matter which way you position it, it is unsuitable for schach. Similar thing over here. Once something has been declared non-kosher, it doesn't matter in what state it is, it is non-kosher. And we'll see this even more clearly based on the Ragachov's explanation. So the Ragachov says, let's say you have something which is declared by the rabbis to be unfit or unsuitable, like this schach. We're worried that if you put a whole lot of planks next to each other, it's actually going to be a roof, not schach. Once that gezerah is in place, then those 
items are not just forbidden for, from being used as schach because of the technical possibility of making a roof, but they become fundamentally disqualified from schach. Even if the reason doesn't technically apply, we'll say the same thing with regards to the food that was cooked by a non-Jewish person. Yes, the logical motivation why we don't want to allow people to eat food cooked by non-Jewish people is because we want to limit the socializing so we don't have intermarriage. Nevertheless, even in a scenario where the actual reason doesn't apply, once the food has been declared non-kosher, it is always non-kosher when produced by a non-Jewish person. And so the prohibition against eating that food or the residual taste of that food in new food is in place even if the scenario is not an intermarriage scenario. So what are we saying? That even if this particular case, there's no way in the world it could bring to intermarriage, still the food is considered inedible for a Jewish person. It's not kosher. And we'll see that based on this intriguing story the Gemara tells us. So a possible source for this view is This sicha is also a siyum Right at the end we quote a story where the Gemara in context was talking about how you go about kashering a knife that had been used in food products that were cooked by a non-Jewish person and you now want to use this knife for something which is a cold item. Now, if the reason that this knife is problematic in the first place is because it was involved in food that was cooked by a non-Jewish person, that will help us to deal with a number of issues in the story that really don't seem to make sense. So we've got to keep this thing in mind that the, the sack is if an item was used in cooking food for a non-Jewish person. The item has the, re- the status of being non-kosher, even if the specifics of maybe this will lead to intermarriage are irrelevant in this particular story. So let's have a look at the story, and then based on that, we'll answer some questions that arise in the story. So, Zelo Shainashas. Mar Yehuda, Obati Baratuva, have a Yasve Kamei Malka. There were two individuals. Mar Yehuda, we don't know. That could be Rav Yehuda, as the Rebbe will propose later. And a fellow called Bati Baratuvi, who is in a, an interesting stage of his life. He had been a slave, and he had been partially, and we'll see what partially means, released from slavery. They're sitting in front of Shavu Malka, who was a king who had a very close relationship with the Jewish people. So they brought an esrog for them to eat. So Shavu Malka sliced himself a piece of the esrog and he ate it. Then then he sliced another piece of esrog and he offered it and gave it to this Bati Bartuvi to eat. And then and then he took the knife and he thrust it ten times into the ground, which is one of the things the Gemara said in that particular context. That one of the ways you kasher a knife that is non-kosher is you thrust it into hard ground ten times and that's what he did. And only after that, then he gave a piece of esrog to marry Yehuda. So Bati Bratuvi was a little bit offended. So Bati Bratuvi says to Shavamalka, he says, what, am I not Jewish? You only cashed the knife for Mar Yehuda, not for me. So Shavamalka says, well, actually, I, I, there's two views of what he's, two versions of what he said. And basically he says, I, I don't hold you at that same level as Mar Yehuda. Basically, I know the status of Mar Yehuda and his principles, and I don't know yours. 
as Rashi says. Rabbi Yehuda Makar Ani Boishu Parish Veloyichad Dvar Isur. I know that Rabbi Yehuda is, um, is somebody who's really strict and he's never going to eat something which is non-kosher. Therefore, I kasher the night for him. But you, I'm not so sure of. I don't know that you hold of the same standard, and that's why I wasn't necessarily worried on your behalf. Or the other version is Amalei says. But Bartuvi, really? You're worried about the esrog that's been cut with my knife? Don't you remember what you did last night? What happened the previous night, says Rashi? Part of the hospitality of the Persians was to give a female companion to their guests for the night. So when they sent these women to their two guests, which is Bati Bartuvi and Rav Yehuda, Kibel Bati, Bati was happy to take the woman. Rav Yehuda, Lord Kibel, and Rav Yehuda said, forget about it. I'm not getting involved in any of this. I'm a from Jew. Okay, so Lenedik Bepashtus, the simple version of the story would indicate, is the chilek zwischen die zwei Mandomars in dem end for Shavar Malka in dem. Why are there two versions of how Shavar Malka responded to Bati Bartovi? Must be, you'd think, was it an ersten end for Shavar Malka gesagt, as er nicht sicher, si Bati is a Porsche mit over aus Isser. The first answer is, I don't know, I don't know who you are, Bati Bartovi. That's what Shavar Malka is saying. I don't know how from you are. And that's why I wasn't so careful on your behalf to cash the knife before I gave it to you. Because any muchstock, I have no uh, a pre, a predetermined status to associate with you. Whereas, and Loite Ike Damri is by him given about Dos, as Nit Whereas the second version says, well, Shavar Malkul saying, actually, no, that you are not a Frum guy because you took the woman last night. Valid Kamai, I have to support to remember what you did last night. That's what it would seem to be. Okay, so the first opinion says, I don't know how Frum you are. And the second opinion, Shavar Malkul saying, I know how Frum you're not. But the Fizeh is Nit it's not so simple to explain it that way. Because. The fact, Bati Bartuvi was happy to transgress a, a prohibition in the Torah and take one of these Persian women for the night. If that is what happened in the first version of Shavar Malka's response to Bati Bartuvi, why does he keep it so neutral? I don't know how from you are. Well, if that's what happened last night, you know exactly how not from he is. Says Adecha Godel Tzogen, and it would be really difficult to try and explain as the Ikedomer is anim echulak mitin eshten mandomer in Amitzias that the debate between the two versions of what Shavar Malka said is actually a debate about whether or not Bati Bartuvi actually took these women at night. Tzisiz geshenda falfon avdes mutal denit. That would be a real stretch. So there's a big question. If Bati Bartuvi has shown his true colors by being willing to spend the night with a Persian woman, why is Shavar Malka, according to the first version, just saying, I don't know your halachic or from status? Okay, so Tosis wants to propose an answer. In a moment, we'll see that it's actually a Shitase, the two different views of Rashi and Tosis about the status of a man in the position of Bati Bartuvi. So Tosis state, has Bati had nit chayte given? So Tosav says, actually, what Bati did the night before was not illegal. The fact that he took these foreign or the <coughs> this foreign woman home with him. Father is given an Eved Ketzas because he was a partial Eved. What's a partial Eved? Shemeukov Get Shichur. He had been released from whoever owned him as an Eved, but hadn't yet received the document of freedom. When an Eved is Mutter Nochris, Toisvah says that an Eved, seeing as he still is an Eved, at least partially, is permitted to have relations with a non-Jewish woman. So Bati Bartuvi hadn't transgressed the law. 
Veshloimar, as Rashi, was Vavod Nitas, Bati is Dermit Nit Bagagan Kenisur. Now you'll notice Rashi doesn't say this. Rashi doesn't suggest that Bati Bartuvi hadn't transgressed anything. Must be because Rashi, Untoisus, Lashito Sayo, Asli have two thematic differences in how you look at the law of somebody who is in this nebulous in between state of ha- half released from being an Evid and not completely released. Where do we see an example? How does a person land up in such a case? The Gemara Kitten tells us a story that there's an Evid who went missing and the guy turns around and says, I give up. I don't ever expect to get him back as my Evid. Says the Gemara, So the Gemara says that the only way that he'll ever be able to be fixed, in other words, to live a normal life, is he'll need still to have a document. Yes, the guy said, I don't ever expect to get him back. So he's now no longer under my jurisdiction is no longer technically my Eved, but he's still not a free person until such time as he has the document of freedom in his hand. Why is Hashem Eforish? What does it mean? Ain't he has no way to live his life because Bebas is royal. He can't marry a Jewish woman because he's still partially an, a slave. But he can't marry a slave woman because he's partially emancipated. So he's in no man's land. And therefore, as far as Rashi is concerned, the man is stuck. He can never continue with his life, can never have any kind of a family until he has the document of emancipation. That's Rashi's view. But Tosus does lend not be Rashi. Tosus has a different view there in that Gemara. Now, as Eino Takana bebas Chorin Kaomar Avo Beshivcha Shori. Tosus understands that when the Gemara says he has no Takana, it means he has no way to be able to marry an ordinary Jewish girl, but he is still allowed to marry a slave girl because he's not purely, he's not totally freed yet. So that d- d- difference of opinion between Rashi and Tosis would apply to the story of this Bati Bratubi. He has a person who's partially freed but hasn't yet got the documentation. According to Rashi, well, then he's not allowed to be with these Persian women or Shifcha or anything like that. Whereas according to Tosis, he actually is permitted to do so. And so his choices the previous night are not an indication that he's a bad person. Okay, if he's not a bad person, he's not moving like Birshat Toysavus, then according to Toysavus' view, the whole story makes no sense. If Bati did nothing wrong because he was technically permitted to be with a Persian woman, so then why is Shavar Malka throwing that in his face and saying, well, the reason I didn't cash the knife for you is because look what you did last night. Well, he was allowed to do it apparently, at least according to Toysavus. So the Ritva is Masbid, the Ritva wants to explain Ashavamalka Lohoyo Yodeya Ze. Shavamalka didn't know this technical detail of the halacha. And therefore, because Shavamalka wasn't a big Talmud Chacham, even though he was somebody who knew halacha, as we shall see. Um, he is uh, he, he's he's not sure. Listen, maybe he's just like he's uh, not so careful about the non-Jewish women. Maybe he's also not so careful about uh, non-Jewish food products. And that was actually not correct, because even if a person is an Evid, they still are bound by all the prohibitions of the Torah. says the Ritva, just like an, an Evid would not be allowed to eat Chazer or meat that had not been shechted properly, he would not be allowed to eat food that was cooked by a non-Jewish person, but Shavar Malka didn't know that. Okay, problem with that explanation is, it's not a clear explanation because, do you know who Shavar Malka was? 
The Gemara actually, what at least Rashi and Tosas point out in Baba Metzia, that Shavar Malka, who was very close to the Jewish people, actually knew quite a lot of halacha. Actually, the story we're reading tells us that he knew things about halacha. How many non-Jewish people know that a Jewish person shouldn't eat from their kalim? And how many of them know how to kasha the kalim? It does sound like a little bit of a stretch that a person with that amount of knowledge of Judaism would be unaware that a person who is a slave is allowed to marry a non-Jewish person. That's actually quite a fairly, it should have been a fairly well-known thing at, those, at that time. Certainly better known than how to cash a knife. And we cannot try and excuse Shavar Malka by saying, oh, he didn't know Bati's status, that he was an Eved or partial Eved. Because the Gemara famously tells us in Kiddushin that Rav Yehuda made a big deal about it and a huge announcement and even criticized Bati Bartovi saying, you know, the reason he's still partially a slave is because he was a little bit too full of himself to accept the get shikru that was given to him. So it was probably well known. Question is, why does Shavar Malka make this, 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 this issue? Either saying, I don't know how from you are, which indicates that he was okay in his behavior. According to the other opinion, <laughs> look what you did last night. It doesn't make sense. There are other things about the story that also don't make sense. Certain of the details. Okay, we can understand that Bati Bartuvi accepts the slice of Esrog that Shavar Malka gives him, and he probably ate it too. And we can explain why he did that. He didn't accept a piece of Esrog and eat it because he wasn't so from or because he didn't care about Bishal Akum or because he was ignorant of the fact that you're not supposed to eat food from or food cut with a utensil used to cook non-kosher well, kosher things but by a non-Jewish person. Just look at his response to Shavuot. He said, what am I, not Jewish? He's moving as I had gewusst and sat in Fadrassen. Obviously, he was aware of the halacha and it bothered him. So if it bothered him, why did he agree then afterwards to eat it? We'll think about the context. He's sitting in front of a king. Can you imagine the chutzpah? King offers you a piece of Esther. You say, sorry, I'm not eating from you. Your kashos is not good enough for me. That is skating on the edge of rebellion against the king, which is a capital offense. And that would mean that Bati Bartuvi would put his life on the line for a piece of Esrog. Well, Pikuach Nefesh overrides all the mitzvahs of the Torah except for the three cardinal mitzvahs. So you don't sacrifice your life for a piece of Esrog given to you by the king. You eat it, even if you're offended at the fact that he doesn't think you're Jewish enough. And uh, you might still think, hey, hang on a second. He notices that Shavuot Malka looks out for Rabbi Yehuda and doesn't give him the Esrog until he's kashed the knife. And that bothered him to the extent, what am I not Jewish enough? So, uh, you know, you, you, you might wonder why Shavar Malka, Malka looking out for Rabbi Yehuda, not for Bati Bartuva. Well, you can understand that very simply because probably Rabbi Yehuda presented himself obviously as a greater person. 
Es bleibt aber Tamur mit Malka. Malka's decisions and behavior. So we can work out what's going through Bati Bratuvi's mind and why he wants to protect his skin uh, and eat the, the, the piece of asteroid. But what's going through Shavam Malka's mind? Three questions. Look, we can see that Shavam Malka is concerned about causing a Jewish person to transgress. That's why he caches the knife before he cuts the slice for Rav Yehuda. So now, if in the first version of the story, Shavu Malka is just not so sure how from Bati Bartovi is, as Bati is a parishman devar iser, he doesn't know if he's really somebody who's so careful about prohibitions. Is that enough reason for Shavu Malka to offering something which is not kosher for him? In other words, you concerned Shavu Malka about Rabbi Yehuda, so you don't want to give him the esrog. You're not so sure about Bati Bartuvi, so you give him the esrog. Why not protect him too? And Beis, even if you go with the second version of the story, which is he was aware of the fact that Bati Bartuvi does not adhere to the law so closely. As Bati Let's go with the second version. That either Bati Bartuvi did something wrong by being with the Persian woman the night before, Rashi's view, or Shavra Malka thought he did something wrong because he didn't necessarily know the nuance of Tosvis. Okay, so he did something wrong. It doesn't make any sense. Two wrongs. Just because he transgressed last night's behavior isn't a reason to cause him to transgress again or to excuse causing him to transgress again today. Especially, especially when you consider what the two types of transgressions are. Maybe Bati Bratovic just could not withhold himself from that tremendous temptation of this Persian woman. And he could still have kept kosher. Unfortunately, these things happen. Now listen to this incredible perspective. Bati Bartuvi could have defended his behavior because to have a one-night stand with a non-Jewish woman, without having a long-term marital type relationship, when nobody could see it, is actually only a rabbinic prohibition. And maybe that's why he was able to justify in his own mind that it's only rabbinic and therefore acceptable. Whereas eating food that comes from non-Jewish utensils is prohibited by the Torah. Maybe actually Bati Bartovi was too wise for it, too, too smart for his own good. And he came up with a concoction of, that's a rabbinic law, I'm willing to transgress it. This is a Torah law, I'm not willing to transgress it. So Shavar Malka should have considered that and, you know, don't say because he messed up last night, therefore I have license to give him something non-kosher to eat today. And lastly, Ditmi is noch starker. The craziest part of the story is The bottom line is Shavar Malka does kasha the knife for Mario Huda. So kasha the knife three minutes earlier, one minute earlier, 30 seconds earlier. Before you give Bati from the Esrog, you're going to kasha the knife anyway. What's the difference? Why Dafka give him the trafe and then kasha the knife? He could have also prevented Bati from transgressing. 
Why? What motivated Shavar Malka to first give the fruit to Bati, then Kasha the knife, and then give to Marihuda? Which kind of guarantees that Bati is going to eat something non-kosher. So to understand all of this, as the Rebbe frequently does, the Rebbe says, let's just picture the scene from a practical perspective. Let's not get caught up in all the theoretical halach of it and ignore the practicality of it. The problem with this knife is not what you think. There's no trafe in this knife. From we're talking here about a king is A king has an abundance of everything that he needs. Says hot and it would be ridiculous to suggest as if to schneiden Paris Esther got There is no way that in the royal palace they use the same knife to cut fruit that they use to cut meat, hot meat. <laughs> that, 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 that's not a sign of wealth if you're reusing you've got an eye for fruit you've got an eye for meat there must have been special pairing knives for fruit so there's no trafe in this knife that's for sure they never cut it they never cut trafe meat with it okay so why are we concerned about the knife and even Shavar Malka is now the second is given going back to the original point we mentioned at the beginning of the Sikha, according to the majority of opinions, if you have used a utensil to cook kosher product, but it's cooked by a non-Jewish person, the utensil is now forbidden for use. That's what's happened. This knife, which is a fruit knife, could have also been used to cut hot fruit, let's say stewed apples, or sharp fruit, maybe lemons. And therefore, this knife has absorbed within it the product of kosher uh, ingredients cooked by a non-Jewish person, which we established right at the beginning, halachically, according to all opinions, well, majority opinions, is problematic. That helps us to understand the angle, at least according to the second version of the story that Shavamalka came at Bati from, don't you remember what you did last night? In other words, if you're not concerned, our issue over here is not treif. Our issue is bishul akum. And the whole premise of bishul akum is to avoid intermarriage. Mm, what were you doing last night? The whole reason to avoid eating food that is cooked solely by a non-Jewish person is to avoid socializing to the extent that you may intermarry with them. But Toysvus at least tells us that Bati doesn't have this restriction. He's actually allowed to marry those women. Then naturally, he is not forbidden to eat the food that might bring to marrying such a woman because he's allowed to marry such a woman. Uh, hang on a second, but we said earlier on that once something has been classified as non-kosher, it is totally non-kosher even when the circumstances don't apply, like the planks that you want to use as schach, if you turn them on the side, well, they've been disqualified, they are disqualified, and the same thing should happen to Bishalakum. We've already discussed that the prohibition against food cooked by a non-Jewish person makes that item as if it were absolutely forbidden. 
And the Fabliv Tepe Yisraelich Dort would the time even is a vert bottle. And that's why it would be trave even if the circumstances are not such that lend themselves to the reason we prohibited it. Is das nicht done? That's not going to apply in our case. Warum? For two reasons. First of all, Avad Zois. First of all, let's consider if we declare that something has become as if it is fundamentally prohibited that is something you can only apply when you're trying to determine the status of an item so here's a plank of wood I need to know the status of this item. Does it qualify as schach or not? Well, if I put it horizontally, it's a problem because it might appear to be a roof. Therefore, this plank is no longer considered something that's viable to use for schach. Once we have named the item as disqualified, it is disqualified no matter how you play it. But if we're dealing with a scenario where logic tells us that the problem can never apply to this scenario, because this is a scenario where the whole logic behind the prohibition has no place, like ours. The whole reason not to have this kind of food is in case you marry somebody you're not allowed to marry. Well, if you are allowed to marry them, then obviously the whole logic goes out the window. That's why we have a whole lot of scenarios where food that's cooked by a non-Jewish person is actually acceptable to us because it cannot in any way bring to socializing and and uh, intermarriage. But besides that, it's no The principle that if the logical reason to make something osur doesn't apply, and yet we'll still consider the item osur, so the logic is this. He has a foodstuff that is never going to bring Jew A to hang out with non-Jew Y. It's not going to happen. However, the problem of Jew A marrying non-Jew Y exists. So therefore, this particular food may not lead to their fraternizing, but because this food belongs to the prohibition, which is relevant to this Jewish person, therefore this food is prohibited to this Jewish person. That's not the case with Bati. There is nothing to restrict him against marrying this Persian woman. So there's no logic to then say, in a scenario where marrying that girl is allowed for this guy. But we're not going to allow him to eat the food which might bring him to marry this girl. Well, that wouldn't make any sense. He's allowed to marry the girl. That's according to Toysvus' view. Now we can even explain a similar thing from Rashi's perspective who says Bati was not allowed to be with that Persian girl during the night. So then what is Shavar Malka saying to him? The exact opposite. As Bati is given Osur ben 
If you go with Rashi's view, that body is not permitted to be with a non-Jewish woman. Chach has given an Evet Katas despite his partial emancipation from slavery, and yet partial being a slave. If the whole purpose of avoiding food cooked by a non-Jewish person is to create a barrier to marriage, well, the Shavar Malka in his mind says, I have no reason to create that barrier for you, seeing as you already crossed the line last night with such a woman. So why am I going to protect you now from the food that might lead you to such a woman when you've already been with such a woman? And then with this in mind, let's go back to the first, the first uh, version. The first version is, what did... Shavar Malka focus on I don't know who you are I don't know your standards why according to that version Shavar Malka does not bring up what had happened the previous night because while we always talk about the prohibition against eating food cooked by a non-Jewish person as being a barrier to intermarriage there is another reason too is for and Rashi quotes this reason. The Torah does not want us to eat regularly with non-Jewish people because then there's a great chance that we'll end up eating non-kosher. Because we'll just be used to eating, we'll kind of let our guard down. So perhaps the two versions of what issue Shavar Malka addressed with Bati aligns with these two possibilities of why we shouldn't be eating no, uh, food cooked by a, non- by a non-Jewish person. In other words, the two versions really debate which of the two reasons against eating co- food cooked by a non-Jewish person is the primary reason. According to the second version, well, the primary reason you're not supposed to eat bishul akum is to avoid intermarriage. On the therefore, Shavar Malka in that version focuses on that part of the story. Remember what happened last night? Who were you with last night? Either according to Tosis, meaning you're okay, you don't have to worry about bishul akum, or according to Rashi, you've already crossed that bridge. It's not going to help to keep you away from bishul akum. But the first version of the story believes that the main reason we avoid Bishalakam is for the other reason to avoid eating with non Jewish people, lest we mistakenly eat non kosher. So if that's what we're concerned about is the Indian from of Dasbaurta Nitkin Enfer, then what happened the previous night between Bati and the Persian women is irrelevant to the question of whether or not he should be allowed to eat the piece of Esrog offered to him by Shavar Malka. But there's still a question. According to the first view, which is, I don't know how from you are. So why does Shavar Malka then say, I'm going to judge you as less from? What would the reason be that Shavar Malka, because he's not sure if Bati is from enough, feel that he's justified to actually present him with an opportunity to transgress the law of the Torah? And actually, for that matter, the second version of the story, which is that Bati justifies himself and says, well, you already messed up last night, in Rashi's view. 
Emes Taka as what is not given Nizer in Bnei Seyen, and the Paris is not talking echech to Pahitnim from the Msyog to Bnei Seyen. Okay, we get it. Rashi says, but he was not supposed to be with a Persian woman the night before. He did it. So he doesn't really care about intermarriage. Therefore, Shavar Malka doesn't have to protect him from the things that may lead to intermarriage. <laughs> but you know what? It still would have been better to cash the knife. Like, what's the downside? So you'll protect him from a different Avera. He didn't have Avera last night. So what? Still protect him. Ultimately, he's sticking the knife in the ground anyway. What's the difference to do it one minute earlier or one minute later? It's not going to be extra bother on his behalf. Why doesn't Shavar Malka protect him? Oh, because we're forgetting for a second what kings are or are not supposed to do. Is the beer and them a fascinating explanation? Because the din is, as I punish in Isman al if a person is appointed to a communal position, he's not allowed to do menial labor in the presence of three or more people because he has to keep a certain uh, dignity in the community. And if that's true of a communal leader, it is certainly true of a king. Ah, you'll say, yeah, but that's halacha. Halacha applies to Jewish kings, and Shavar Malka is a non-Jewish king. Yes, but this is halacha that has a logical basis. And if, a, if halacha has a logical basis, you apply it where the logic applies. This logic applies even if the king is non-Jewish. And it certainly is logic that the king should apply to himself because there's a sound reason why a king should remain aloof and dignified. And besides the king's choice to say, I'm not going to do work in front of you ordinary people, we as ordinary people have a responsibility halachically to show honor even to a non-Jewish king. And the reason why? Because showing proper respect to authority, particularly to a king, is valuable and relevant for the well-being of the whole world. Because the mission in Prikavas tells us, because if people did not have that awe of the leadership, the kingship, then people would literally turn to anarchy and destroy each other. Even non-Jewish people have the responsibility of make the world a habitable, dignified place. And therefore, as Jewish people, we are required to show honor to a king, which means if Mar Yehuda and Bati Bartuvi are sitting in front of Shavar Malka, it is inappropriate for them to expect that he's going to start slicing lemon for them, certainly that he's going to start cashing a knife for them. So, by rights, being a king, not only was Shavar Malka excused from cashering the knife on their behalf, he wasn't permitted to do the menial job of cashering a knife in front of ordinary citizens. Now, if Bati eats this sliced estrog uh, from Shavar Malka, he's actually not breaking the law because he's partially an Evid. And the whole issue is that he shouldn't marry a non-Jewish woman. He's allowed to marry a non-Jewish woman. In fact, 
Bati Bar Tuvi has no excuse not to eat this esrog. He is required to eat it to protect his own life. The Faratim Shavu Malkin was given the esrog on Freedom Sakim Bakarko. So actually, Shavu Malka is required by the laws of logic as well as the laws of Torah to give him the esrog without cashing the knife because it's beneath his dignity to cash the knife for a guy who doesn't really need the knife cashed. Whereas, when it comes to Mar Yehuda, Shavar Malka, who is not supposed to do menial labor in front of ordinary citizens, Dafka kashas the knife. Why? Because he knows exactly who he is dealing with. Who is he dealing with? Not just a from Jew. He wasn't just simply saying, Shavar Malka, I know that Mar Yehuda is not going to eat something which isn't kosher, but Bati, I don't know about you. He knows exactly who he's dealing with with Mar Yehuda. He knows that this Mar Yehuda is somebody who under no circumstances will compromise his standards and he's not going to eat this esrog. Even if the halacha requires him to, to protect his own life. He is so dedicated to his Yiddishkeit, he will even put his life on the line not to eat the piece of Esra cut with a knife that is Gi'ulei, or in this case, Bishulei Ako. Especially when you consider that Mar Yehuda is most likely Rav Yehuda about whom the Gemara Brochus tells us The Gemara asks the question how come it is that Rav Yehuda was whatever he davened for even before he davened he could create miracles bring rain etc. So the Gemara says why? Because he was one of those original sages who were willing to give their lives for Kiddush Hashem for Hashem's purposes. Even when they were not required, Shavu Malka must have known this. It was a well-known thing. This is Rav Yehuda. He does not compromise his principles even on pain of death. So now, the same Shavu Malka who is not permitted to kasha the knife of Bati ben Tuvi because I don't know if he's of the standard or if he has the requirement, and I'm a king. I don't have to do manual labor. I'm not allowed to do manual labor for such a person. That same Shavu Malka looks at Rav Yehuda and says, and here is somebody who's willing to die for his principles. I am required to kasha the knife for him. But I don't know who I'm dealing with. It's not even a question of how from Bati is. Maybe he's a really from guy, but he's not necessarily going to lay down his life for this mitzvah. He's not allowed to cash the knife for him. And that gives us a massive lesson in Avodah Here's a story. Two people sitting in front of a king. Both of those people have an equal responsibility to show respect and honor to the king. One of the two people was completely awestruck by the fact that he's sitting in front of a king and therefore he was willing to eat something which is technically not kosher because it was cut with a knife which shouldn't be used for a Jewish person. 
And why would he do it? He defended it based on halachic principles, which say you're not required to die for a piece of esrog. So that Jew who has the willingness to, to compromise his values can find an halachic loophole. The king doesn't have major respect for him. On that sweater, the second Jew was by Shamalk is given Kimli Begave. As a vernit over Zankinis, a fill of endosirton quaida medic businesses nefesh. But when Shavar Malka detects that the other Jew sitting in front of him is somebody who will not devalue his principles, even in front of a king, even if it's at risk to his life, Dafgaderi, that need most need falloren them chain by Melech. Not only did that Jew not offend the king. Shavu Malka's response to him is not to snap his fingers and call a servant to Kasha the knife, but to personally Kasha the knife on Rabbi Yudah's behalf. He could have snapped his fingers and called for an aid. He could have even given the knife to Mariud and said, listen, I know you need to Kasha this, go ahead, do your thing. But he did it himself. Why? When a non-Jewish person sees a Jew who has absolute awe of Hashem. A Jew who will avoid what is transgression to the nth. To the point of Messias Nefesh. Then the non-Jewish person considers it an honor even if he's the king, it's the honor for a king to serve such a person. Not only to serve him, how much, to what extent will he help this Jewish person? What he considered is his honor and privilege to help this Jewish person? Even to do things which are only, so to speak, hidur, not required by law, because by law you could say it's not something you have to fight about on pain of death. This is the final story in Masechta Avodah because this is the scene. This is how you end the chokehold of Avodah in our world. When we stand up strong, absolutely unwavering in our commitment to Judaism, that destroys the Avodah in our world. And then the Ebrishta can be clearly the king, the sole king over the entire world. And the Ebrishta will be declared and recognized as king over the whole of existence, the coming of Mashiach now.